Let's pray. Father, we praise you for who you are. And Father, may the words that we just sung, you are my all in all, worthy is your name. May those be the words that ring in our hearts and the anthems of our soul. For Father, you are everything. And may our life be according to that fact, that nothing we do is outside of you, but you are, you are my all in all. May this morning be pleasing in your sight, Father, as you hear the songs of our hearts and the worship that is on our tongues and the things that we listen to and that we leave with this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Tommy has been doing a series on the second coming of Jesus. And if you're wondering why he's not up here and I am, he was doing a conference uh, this weekend in Tennessee and got back yesterday uh, at five. Uh, But he's been doing a series on the second coming of Jesus, and it got me to thinking about Jesus' first coming. What did that look like? What was that uh, all about? Because really, if we don't understand Jesus' first coming, then I don't think we're going to fully understand Jesus' second coming. And this year at camp, uh, our theme verse was, I have resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. I've resolved to know nothing except who Jesus is. And so I've been thinking a lot about Jesus, as we probably all should, but what it meant when he first came. And so we're going to be out of the Gospel of Luke, and we just read a story that many of you have heard many a times, right? Probably every Palm Sunday, that story comes up. But Luke, out of all the Gospels, he depicts Jesus on a mission, where Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. In chapter 9, I believe it says, Jesus was resolutely on his way to Jerusalem. And he said no to some things so that he could say yes to what he was about to do. And finally, we get to this episode in chapter 19 in which Jesus enters Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And the things that transpire in Jerusalem ultimately lead to his death. Have you ever made an announcement that makes something official? This is going to date me a little bit, especially for some of you younger ones. Uh, But have you ever heard the term being Facebook official? All right, and if some of you older ones are going, I don't know what that means, that also dates you. (laughs) I know it dates me a bit, but just hang in there. When something is Facebook official, it means that it is only true because it is posted online, and it's used in a couple of different ways. One is when something has happened in someone's life, right, where they say, hey, I met this famous person. I met Patrick Mahomes yesterday. It is only true if it is also posted on social media, right? Otherwise, people are not going to believe it, right? So did you hear this? Well, I didn't see it online, so it must not be true. And the second way that it is used when something becomes official is when a relationship is official, right? So when you start dating somebody, and it says it right there on your status, no longer single, but 
together or whatever it is that it says then and only then is it true, right? When Katie and I started dating, that's when she knew she had me locked in is when I changed that status, <laughs> proclaiming that her and I were an item. You see, the term Facebook official is this official declaration that you want to make known something, that you want it shout on the rooftops and you want everybody around to pay attention and to know what it, what it is. Uh, in the spring of 2019, right before we moved uh, here from, Nor from Norfolk to Richmond, uh, Katie updated her Facebook status. No, not to say she was married. We were married long before that. But she updated her Facebook status to make an official declaration. And it said this, time to make it official. The Langleys are moving to Richmond this summer. After a few short weeks of long nights and all the blood, sweat, and a few tears, our house is on the market. That was in April of 2019. And I remember reading that status as it came on my phone and thinking, really, this has been official for some time now. Right? We've told the congregation that we were leaving. We've told some close friends that we're moving to Richmond. And I'm already working on an exit plan with the elders and the minister. Um, we've been working behind the scenes to make all this ha happen. It really has been official. We've thrown out stuff away that we don't need. And I was thinking, if this really wasn't official, then we've taken a lot of unnecessary steps uh, because we could end up homeless and without a job. But I get what she was doing, right? Though in our hearts and in our minds, it had been official for a month or so that we were leaving and we were coming here, it was time to make it Facebook official, which did a couple of things. One is it let the cat out of the bag and it told everyone exactly what it was that we were doing. It was no longer a secret. We were going to share it with the world and people could be happy for us. Uh, even the ones in Norfolk, they didn't cry over us leaving. Just kidding. <laughs> Though in our hearts, in our minds, it had been official, when we put it out there, it let everybody know. Even those who didn't necessarily care whether or not we were moving or what was going on in our lives. And then putting our house in the market was the biggest step we had taken up to that point, and there is now no turning back. Or what had been official in our hearts was now official official because people now knew. And I think my experience in that moment is similar to the one that we just read in the scripture reading. I'm going to reread a part of Luke's account of the triumphant entry in Luke chapter 19. And I want you to do a couple of things. One, I want you to picture yourself there. In that moment when Jesus gets on the colt and he is walking down, I want you to put yourself in the story. Is there a particular character that you identify with, whether it be the Pharisees, whether it be the disciples, as Jesus comes into town, as he declares something, right? Because Jesus had been operating in official capacity, but now he was making it Facebook official. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 35 through 40. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. 
And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when the time came near, the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Did you catch what Jesus did there? That as he was riding into town, he made his identity officially known. He put it out for everyone to see. He shouted it on the rooftops if they were paying attention to the story that God had been writing. Jesus is God's son, and he is the Messiah who is going to save the whole world. And you may be thinking, yeah, but Jesus has been saying this the whole time, right? He's been talking about it. He's been taking his disciples aside, and that's just it, right? There's been instances where he's told the few. He's told Peter, James, and John in the transfiguration, right, where God's voice came down. And it says, this is my son, and him I am well pleased. Listen to him. But for the most part, what did Jesus often say? My time has not yet come. Mark makes it clear. Jesus says it over and over, does a miracle, does something that only God himself could do. Through Jesus, my time has not yet come. Make sure that you tell no one. Jesus was keeping it under wraps. But here in the triumphant entry, we see Jesus take the bow off. He tears into the present as a child tears into wrapping paper on Christmas morning. And he puts on full display what was hidden underneath to claim exactly who he was, who he is, and what he has come to do. The death of Jesus is no doubt the most physically painful part of the process, but I believe that emotionally the triumphant entry was the most painfully excruciating for Jesus. It was the most emotionally painful. I mean, in effect, what Jesus is doing is he's starting a sequence of events that is going to lead to his death. We've entered into the final days of Jesus's life. So while he was revealing who he was and what he came here to do, Luke adds to the fact that Jesus is king. You see, when Jesus announced, or when Luke says in verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, what that led to was Jesus being the subject of ridicule and mockery. Remember? Jesus dies, and above his head, king of the Jews. Jesus' announcement, he was making sure people knew exactly who he was and what he was there to do. And the interesting is, is the people were looking for a king. They were looking for somebody to come in and to redeem them. Just like God had done in the Exodus, through Moses, they were looking for somebody to do that again because over and over they were oppressed and they were looking for a king that would come to conquer and to redeem. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, the people were longing for God alone 
to be their king. They were clinging to the hope set out in Scripture, the hope that, after all these years, Israel's God would return to be with his people, to rescue them, to restore them, to condemn their oppressors, to take charge, to do justice, to sort things out, to rule over them like a good king should, but unlike any actual human king they had ever known. They were looking for the first coming of the Messiah, yet many of them missed it because they misunderstood what it was that God was about and how God was going to bring about his kingdom. When Jesus comes in as king, he is declaring that a new kingdom is here and you can choose to be a part. And with a new kingdom, there are a new set of rules that come by, rules that maybe you've never seen or understood because a new king brings in his own rule. It's as though when Jesus came in and declared himself to be king, why did the Romans have a problem? Because Caesar is king and Jesus steps in to the scene and he is proclaiming the good news, not just the death, burial, and resurrection, but that a new kingdom is here. Why did the Romans have a problem with that? Because Caesar was king. And here Jesus is claiming that right. He's claiming that throne. And as Jesus is on the colt of the donkey, coming into the town of Jerusalem... He knows that which lies ahead. For those of you who are married and have walked down the aisle, my guess is, is that you've walked down that aisle not only because you love the person that you were walking down with, but you could think of all the blessings that were to come after. All the, fut- the, the blessings, the future, uh, everything that comes after marriage. And so you are able to walk down that aisle and commit yourself to that individual. I want you to think about or imagine yourself making that long walk when you know, yes, there will be blessing, but only after a period of extreme anguish and pain. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's walking down that aisle knowing there's anguish and pain first and blessing comes after. I am the Messiah. It's official. There's no turning back now. Notice how Jesus makes this declaration. He comes in riding on a donkey full of humility and service. You see, it was typical that when a king entered a city after a conqueror, the red carpet would be rolled out and they would ride in on a warrior horse and it would be a big deal. I often think of Aladdin. Right? When Prince Ali comes in, Prince Ali, fabulous he, okay? Now you can picture he's on the big uh, elephant. He comes in. It's a big parade. I often think that that's what it was supposed to look like. But that's not how Jesus comes in at all. He comes full of humility and of service. You see, this Messiah is not one of raw power like they expected, but one who is humble, one who is ready to serve. His triumph here is not one that is physical, but it is one that is spiritual. He is marking the way his kingdom is going to reign. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but instead the Son of Man came 
to serve. Jesus comes in as a king that they have never seen before. And he's going to rule in a way that they don't understand. And some of them decide that they don't really like it. He comes not to be served, but instead to serve. You see, when Jesus came in on the back of that donkey and he makes this declaration to be king, this declaration also acts as an invitation. Yet everyone reacts to this invitation a little bit differently. Some sing praises. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He is the one who saves. They quote from Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord will bless you. And they begin to lay down the red carpet with the palm branches. This group is made up of the disciples. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They would have ringing Zechariah 9. They knew exactly what it meant when he was coming in that God was establishing his kingship. But some who were in that crowd laying down the palm branches saying blessed is he would later be the ones who would also say crucify him later on. It would be the ones not anymore wanting what Jesus had to offer, but instead jumping on the other side and making sure that Jesus got what Jesus deserved. And then you have the Pharisees. The Pharisees ask Jesus, rebuke your disciples, for your disciples are out of line. Shut them up. They should not be saying these things. And Jesus' response, and I love this response, is if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If my children keep quiet in this moment while I am declaring kingship, then the stones themselves will cry out because they understand who it is that I am. Creation will sing my praise if my children do not. There is nothing that you can do to stop this. You have the disciples who are genuine as Jesus walks down the aisle. You have those who maybe think they are but later turn on him and yell crucify him. And then you have the Pharisees who think that what Jesus, uh, or that what Jesus is doing is not worth praising, and they may even be ashamed of it. When I asked you to think about what character you identified with, who was it? When you put yourself in the story, where did you put yourself in? The first thing in all, excuse me, in all of the Gospels, okay, in each of the accounts. The first thing that Jesus does when he comes in riding into town, when he enters in Jerusalem, is this iconic scene where Jesus uh, clears the temple. Right? And I don't think that this is an accident because Jesus is declaring himself. Right? This is the moment. And he comes in and the first thing that Jesus wants to do after an official declaration is to make sure that the temple which is the place where the worship of God takes place, is in order. 
Jesus walks in as king. He enters the temple and he realizes the temple is not what it ought to be. And he begins to throw furniture around for this house of worship is not where it should be. And it's not what it should be doing. And he begins to throw and toss everything. He puts things back in order. When he finds out, he rearranges the furniture that is in the temple. For us today, the message is the same. Many of us want to make Jesus Savior, but we don't want to make him king. We don't want to make him Lord of our life. And the first thing that Jesus wants to do when we have officially put him on through baptism is he wants to rearrange the furniture in our hearts, in our lives, the place where worship happens. When Jesus declared himself to be king, it wasn't just about the temple and Jerusalem, but it is about us and our hearts today that Jesus declares himself to be king. And he declares himself to be king of our hearts. The point is this, that when God becomes king, hearts are and always will be transformed. Jesus wants to rearrange the furniture in our lives to look like the house of worship that God has meant it to be. And when we're honest with ourselves, it is at this point of rearranging furniture that we get a little bit uncomfortable with Jesus being king and we want him to just be savior. Save us from our sins. Take me with you. I don't want to go there. I want to be with you. And he says, that's great. I want you to be with me too, but I also want your heart to look like the heart of mine, to look more like the heart of God's than it was before. And so there's things that you have to let go. There's things that you have held on to so tightly that you have placed so neatly in your living room. And you have said, it looks perfect. And I need this to say here, it's a part of me. And Jesus says, that has no part with me. Get rid of it. I'm tossing it out and I'm replacing it with something that is better. I'm rearranging your house. I'm rearranging your living room, your bedroom, everything that is along with it. Because when I am king, the evidence of that is a transformed life. It is a transformed heart. If you're uncomfortable with that, I think Jesus would say, be uncomfortable. In the end, it will definitely be worth it. Jesus wants to rearrange the furniture in your life, the furniture in your heart. He wants to rearrange the furniture in mine. In studying uh, for this and for all the camp lessons, I've realized that there's a lot of things in my life that are out of place that just need to be rearranged. And it's letting, not Jesus, letting Jesus not only save me, but allowing him to transform me in the process, even though there's things that I want to stick around. But he says have no part in me with that. Look at verses 41 through 44. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you 
when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and the children within your walls. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. As Jesus triumphantly enters into the city that he set out for, he weeps over it. Most kings, as they would come in, who are about who have who have conquered they would have an i told you so moment with that crowd you realize who i am or else yet jesus reacts differently he weeps he weeps over it he weeps over the city that has rejected him why he wept because they had not found god's peace because they missed the first coming. He wept for those who could not see the source of his genuine peace. And so he says, I'm going to die in order to give you peace. As a church, the church as a whole, we must learn to cry. We must learn to lament crying over the lost world, unable to sleep, unable to rest, unable to stop, doing everything possible for the salvation of the world. Jesus wept over that city that did not know him. We must weep over our city and our parts of our lives in which we know people who do not know Jesus. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost Following Jesus means seeking the lost. Following Jesus means opening eyes to see real peace. Following Jesus means spending oneself. So Jesus' reasons for dying is known to as many as possible. What do we do? What should we do? Pray. Lament. Grieve over the things that grieve Jesus. Be specific in prayer. Tommy, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, uh, spoke about praying big prayers. Be specific in prayer. Be creative in prayer. Pray for your family, for your families. Pray for your church, for conflicted churches. Work toward resolution and peace. Seek to touch the lives of others. See new opportunities, new goals, new dreams. Ask yourself, how can I be a part of bringing God's peace to others? Because if he weeps over it, then we ought to as well. Church, do not fail to see. Do not fail to see. Do not ignore the disorientation of the triumphal entry. Don't hurry the story. Listen. Think. Pray. Weep with Jesus. Get ready for difficult days, even in the midst of promises of victory in your life make way for Jesus to be king if this is something that you've been thinking about that you want to do to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life to make it Facebook official then we would love nothing more than to be able to do that with you uh, to talk it over with you to share in your baptism uh, as you wash your sins away and as you declare Jesus king of your life. 
If that is something that you're interested in, or you want to know more, or you want to have discussion, uh, then you can come as we stand and sing number 662. 662. Oh.